what? Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today I have the good pleasure of introducing you guys to the one and only Susie Gray, one of my favorite people I've met in the last couple of years. She is so smart when it comes down to stories. We have hung out in person um, at an event where I made someone cry. That was hilarious. <laughs> if I remember correctly, that was, a, that was the event that we went to, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I, well, I think I was at an event in London and yeah. you just came, hung out with us, that had some fun. dinner and yeah, just made someone cry. You know, I think that's I one t- of your biggest skills. <laughs> I think that's one of my, that is becoming a trademark for me. But real quick before we get into it, Susie Gray, I have to tell everyone about this. You have a very unique skill, uh, set of skills around story, which is why I wanted to bring you on so we can actually discuss this. But real quick, before we jump into the show today, we are sponsored by the one and only CaptivationHouse.com. Head on over to CaptivationHouse.com, which is again Susie's home website, where you can find out how to work with her, find out more about what she does, and more importantly, join her mailing list um, and stalk her online because she is genuinely lovely peoples. We're also sponsored by GreatestCopywriterLive.com, where you guys can go check out my matrix for storytelling. Specifically, specifically, we call it the Storytelling Matrix, which is my infinite content loop thingy that you guys have heard of, but it's brilliant for content client or whatever. That being said, I'm going to shut the fuck up and ask my first question, which is, how the hell did you get into stories? Specifically, I know we all have our own way, but I want to know how you got into yours. Well, do you want the short answer or the long answer? Either or. Because, okay. Well, we'll, we'll go somewhere in the middle. Um, so I guess the the easy way of answering that is I feel like I've been a bit of a storyteller my whole, whole life. Um, so that was what I just loved to do when I was a kid. But you think, well, that's what you do when you're a kid. You know, you tell stories and um, you it's, it's this like world of imagination and make believe and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then you grow up, things become more serious. And I became a lawyer, which in some ways is a type of storytelling. You are creating an argument uh, for someone to to sell a version of a story. Um, And so that, I guess, taught me so much about writing just in a very, very particular way. Uh, realized quite quickly um, that that was not what I wanted to be spending my whole life doing. So um, when that's the path I had been on for so many years, you know, working to become a lawyer, and then you realize actually, this isn't what I want to do. I had to really go back to the drawing board and, and look at the skills that I had and wonder how I could apply them in a way that was not within the legal profession. And so through a little bit of exploration, I I realized that writing and um, a form of storytelling was something that I was pretty good at and what else could I do with that? And that led me really to the world of, of advertising, of marketing. I joined an ad agency with like no experience whatsoever. I just, I pretty much blagged myself into a job that didn't exist. And that was where I was introduced to storytelling in a more creative way, but still, um, you know, in the world of, of selling, um, selling, a, selling a story, selling a version of a story. And um, I felt so much more at home there. And that's where I really thought, yeah, I could, I could see myself being in this, in this industry in some way for hopefully many years to come. And um, that was really my first taste of, yeah, writing, writing stories for profit but I, I was doing that for, for other people. Um, and then I thought, 
you know, what about doing this for myself? Are, are there greater opportunities if I look at starting my own business, which is never something I considered before and um, decided to take the leap a few years back now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess you could say I've been um, doing some kind of storytelling ever since. That is awesome. I love it when things like that kind of come about. Um, And I actually wanted to ask you about this because this is a really hard jump for a lot of people to make. And I say that as someone that has been in the industry for practically my entire life. Mm. Um, It's really weird to say that October, 2021 is going to be my 20th year doing (laughs) this. I'm 32. Like I'm 32 this year. Same. Wait, what's your birthday again? I forget. May, May. Yeah, you're a few months older than I barely I look much older than you so just anyone wondering (laughs) like she looks freaking youthful and I got like old man face um but what I'm getting at here is that there is uh there's a hard time to transition from writing for others to writing for yourself for a lot of us um I'm curious how what challenges did you find and more importantly how did you overcome those challenges to write for yourself yeah that's a really good question because I still feel like there's an element of overcoming those challenges even now as I, I've been more recently transitioning out of um, copywriting uh, as being like the bulk of my, my revenue into mentorship. And so even more, there's even more kind of um, space, but also pressure to be writing for myself rather than writing for other people. Um, and I think when I, when I was starting out, what I really wanted to do was bring some personality into the communications that companies were making. And yeah. I, um, I certainly didn't really know the online world the way I do now, but I thought that I'd be writing for, you know, small to medium sized companies locally. And I did some of that for a while. And, and so my focus was really yeah let's just br- make this make this more interesting to read everything was just so dull and boring and repetitive and i i wanted to be the one that helped bring some bring some spice so my my company before i rebranded was called pepper jar and that was the idea i was bringing some spice to the communications um, i love that as a company name by the way thank you yeah it worked really well for me um for about three or four years i i traded under that name and um, it was it was great, and you know people wanted that. They couldn't they couldn't communicate in the way that they wanted to, um, and it and it wasn't you know working for them. When you're saying the same stuff as everyone else, like that's that's not attention grabbing, is it? Of course it's not. So um, yeah, I felt like because it was quite natural for me to write with a bit of personality. Um, it was quite easy to apply that to other businesses. So they would come to me specifically because they wanted that, you know, the quirkiness or uh, the wit uh, brought to the copy. So it it didn't feel like it was too much of a transition, like writing for someone else and writing for myself. It was just applying a similar style, but to a different subject matter, let's say. And then as I evolved um, or as the business evolved, I found myself working with more and more online business owners. So people who were like me, they had personal brands, they traded online and the way that they sold themselves was through their personality. You know, the, the website had to do the selling for them. Yeah. Um, and so as long as I could vibe with that person 
and understand their personality and understand the work they were doing in the world and why that was important to them, understand what they stood for, it could be quite easy for me to like step into their shoes as it were and write for them because they, they came to me because they vibed with the way I wrote and they wanted a bit of that for themselves. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. See, I have a question for you off the back end of that, because like, again, having done this for absolutely freaking ages, you basically learn a thing or two about uh, things, which is one of the one of the strangest things. Uh, one of the strangest. I'm gonna stop saying the word thing now. One of the strangest parts of advertising and what we do is getting into someone's head, and one of the thing, one of the very. Uh, one of the things that did catch my eye about you that was very interesting when we first started speaking was how well and how quickly you got the actual um, concept of stepping into someone's shoes. And I say this because there are a lot of copywriters I know that don't know how the fuck to get into someone's head. They just don't. They really don't understand how to get in there and like speak from that voice. And it's the thing I've always admired about you as well as the fact that you've been able to do that. I guess being a lawyer, I didn't know you were, did I know you were a lawyer before I probably didn't or probably didn't but uh that's pretty cool as a thing i picked up today about you um but Mm. in that role i'm assuming you would have actually picked up a little bit of people reading skill as in like how to pick your juries what to do how to structure your arguments whether to tell Mm. someone's actually lying or something that all comes into writing copy quite well and very similar to you as um well by the time the show comes out be a couple of months but in february uh, but, uh, sorry, end of January 2021, I actually announced my retirement from writing for, for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, funnily enough, that same day, three other people did as well. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. When do we all pick the same day? <laughs> you guys just following a trend. Um, but my question for you there was, how? what is your process of getting into someone's head? Because I think it might be different to mine, but I'm really curious. Yeah, I expect like everyone has has their own kind of process, don't they? Um, and I should say, like back when I was a lawyer, I was not a criminal lawyer; I was an employment lawyer. Um, so helps. it wasn't yeah, wasn't anything to do with um, like juries, but it was still um, you know contentious. So you would have to um, take take statements from people, hear different sides of the argument, and then you would you would p- put your case to someone else. So it's very much about um, I would I would always say it's like choosing your facts. Like you you kind of take everything that's in front of you. You you have to you have to ask the right questions. And I think that very much applies to copywriting um, is asking the right questions in the first place to get to the answers that you actually that you actually want and even more than that get to the honest answers because sometimes the the first thing someone's t- someone tells you is not is not the whole story it's it's not really the 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 truth so asking the right questions being very curious I think is, is a great skill to have as a as a writer and then um using everything you've got and like looking for looking for the threads looking for the angles looking for you know the the things that are going to hold some kind of story or some kind of argument together and leading from there like I always something I I always say is um you know when you're when you're writing a website or a sales page whatever it is like you don't have to tell the whole story you are always telling an edited version of a story and so you get to choose what is included and what is left out 
I would agree entirely with that summation. My way, um, so just to give you guys an idea on how, uh, so that research process that you just gave right there is incredible. The one step that I do different on that, well, I have a different way that I do it now, but the way I teach the, how to put this, I've got to like word this correctly because it could come off massively offensive to the wrong person. Um, essentially what I mean to say is that because I've done it so many times for so long, I know what questions to ask my customers to, what my clients to get the information I need. Whereas when I was still starting out in my career and going through basically the first eight years of my, of my career as a professional, um, which is a 13, not a 13 year long career, for the first eight years of it until I was 26, I, um, I would do all my research on places like Reddit. Like I'd find out who my client's ideal audience was and then I'd go find those people on Reddit and start mm-hmm. stalking them. Yeah. Um, like I would actually look at this crazy ass story, really. You, you don't mind if I tell the story, do you? Well, I don't know what the story is. The story is of a research set. Uh, it's a research thing that basically went <laughs> pretty funly. Uh, essentially what happened was a client gave me a customer list of their 100 top clients. It was a 10,000 pound per month mastermind that was only allowed to 10 people. Mm-hmm. But I had, to write a, I had to write a personalized letter to each person. Okay. So I was, I was like, this is cool. This will be fine. Um, cool. So I went through, found their profiles online, went through all their stuff, went through LinkedIn, the Twitter, the YouTube, the Facebook, friended them, got to talk to them because I had like two months to do the project. Um, eventually, I found out what their unifying factors were and why. So out of the 100 people, I selected 10 people out of that and wrote them all letters to be like, hey, we've gotten to know each other over this time. And I think you'd get on really well with this person, this person. So I want to select you as part of my super cool team for this mastermind that my, that my friend and client is putting together. I think you'd be a great fit. Uh, here's what you do next. So I basically sold them from the perspective of their friend is recommending them because mm-hmm. with something of that level of investment, what I found was in the process of testing, you're, you've got to have really strong testimonials and really, really strong, um, what's it called, connections from people, recommendations from other people to join that program because 10 grand a month is 120,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And you're asking someone to basically just invest that into your business. And the, the dude that did it made like 1.2 million off this one thing. And then the remaining mm-hmm. 90 people made like a couple of million more off them in different deals. But it did teach me the, the process of research. You go through, you find yeah. out what they like, what they don't like. How do they speak? What do they not like to say? What mm-hmm. offensive words do they like to use and not like to use? And how much can you get away with? Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. It, like yeah. words, words are super fascinating to me as you, as you could possibly, probably have guessed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think um, that's where like the, the brand strategy kind of piece comes into it because I think that so many people, they, they're willing to invest in copywriting uh, because they know they're going to get, you know, a deliverable, but they don't, or, or they don't always have that really solid foundation. Yeah their brand and what that voice is what the tone is what the style is what is that what is your unique brand language what is that um you know signature thing that you bring to the table and how do you articulate that like you've got to have that kind of stuff really really solid before i think investing in in copy um and yeah that that's where so much of that kind of research process can happen is to set the foundations first and then everything is is built on top of that one of which is 
is copywriting. Very and I, yeah, I love, I love the, the way you, <laughs> you do your research. I think it's, um, you can learn so much from, from that process. Cause you can, yeah, there's so much to learn about people, not even by speaking to them, but just by looking at the way they move through the world, the way that they show up on the internet in different places. Yeah. It's, it's really, it was something that I found very early on in my career that gave me a bit of an edge was I was like, huh, this person really likes that. Like this audience really liked this word. I know I'm going to add this word to my lexicon, just see what would happen. And mm. it worked. My question to you here is because like, uh, well, you and I ha- will have a slight difference and a little bit of an opposing view is what you just said, which is uh, I truly believe, yes, you should know. I don't believe you should know your voice and your brand first before you hire a direct response copywriter, because that is usually part of their job, what they need to do. I actually truly believe that you all know your audience's voice first before you know your own. So if you know what you're doing, but you know who you're speaking to, you can very quickly articulate around it. But again, both sides need to be taken care of. At some point or another, you need to make sure both sides are actually in the middle, which leads me to my to the question I wanted to ask you here in a long drawn out way, was how do you actually start to find your personal voice and brand? Because I've tried to do this for myself and it's never really gone the way I wanted, not until I hired a designer to sit down with me and figure this out with me. Like if you don't have the ability to hire someone else, how could you start finding your own voice and your own pattern? Hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. And I do want to say like, yeah, it's not like I have an opposing view to you, but I think your, your world is the world of direct response. Whereas my world is more, is more the brand Um, and, or, or personal brands, particularly that I, that I've worked with where, you have to have that balance between bringing yourself to the table uh, and making that connect with the people that you want to work with. And the reason that people will want to work with you is because you are who you are. So it's important to be showing up. Yeah, I, don't, I do not want to say as your authentic self, but in effect, that is what you are doing. You have to show up as this version of you that is going to captivate the right kind of people so you've got to be able to connect of course with what their problems are what their challenges are uh what their desires are and you know what what's getting in in the way of of them achieving those desires um but it's it's just as important um to know how you want to be showing up in the world because it doesn't matter if you can solve someone's problem if you like hate working with a certain kind of person or if you have no real interest in solving that specific problem then it doesn't matter if you can communicate that in a brilliant way it's it's you're not going to be building the kind of business that you want to um, live in so um yeah I think we just I don't think it's that we have opposing views we just maybe come at things from a slightly different angle oh I agree Um, by the way when I say opposing views I literally just meant different angles more than cool 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 um, because yeah, I, I wouldn't say I come from the world of, of direct response. Um, and I, I struggled with that actually to be, to call myself a conversion copywriter, because I find when you do that, all people are interested in is, is the end result. You know, it's all about the numbers and, yeah. um, whether something converted or it didn't. And that like, that doesn't excite me. I want it to be about like the, the person who is showing up within this brand, not just the money that's, that's coming out of a campaign if that makes sense so yeah I mean that's again I really do wish I had more of uh more of that with like our clients but honestly we just it's such a difference Mm. um 
because everything that we because that's the big difference between the two types of copy really uh, and now there's the third kind which has really come up which is lovely which is uh story selling as an idea mm-hmm. um and that's been around that i i still remember the day that i thought i came up with that i was like oh yeah i came up with it and then <laughs> someone basically tagged me and went uh no it's like two years before you i was like oh cool <laughs> I get it. It's, you still had the idea independently, though, which is which is cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a fun little thing over time, but um, I, I love the way that's developed into this huge sprawling business. I just really do hope as people get further beyond, um, because copywriting is changing massively. It has always been a changing animal, but as we get closer and closer and beyond all this stuff. Uh, I really do hope people still keep the old remnants of what made direct response so good, like how to tell a really powerful story, how to put your customer in that situation um, Mm. where they can feel like they're actually living uh, and overcoming. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Um, So curiously, so like kind of jumping back into it, because this is where we were going with this. Like, so what exercises would you give someone to actually find themselves so they know what they stand for? Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many questions that you could ask. And again, I I really do think it's a question process. It's, you know, all of all of the answers are within a person already. It's just um, asking yourself the right question to, to sort of let it out. And I think that's so much of what, you know, people say, like, how do I find my voice? And it's not a case of like finding a voice like you've already got the voice. It's more about having the confidence to use it and to really trust yourself to say the thing that you really want to say. So those are the kind of questions I'd be asking at the beginning is, you know, what is it that you really want to say that you're stopping yourself from saying right now? What is it that drives you mad about your industry? And what is the change that you want to make? What is it that you you value and that you stand for like so much that you would actually fight for it what are those things and and if you're not talking about them then why not because it's when you start to like answer those kind of questions that you find oh actually I have so much to say and there is so much passion behind these things I'm just for some reason choosing not to show up and say them and that's when it it becomes like more of a self-trust and a confidence thing it is massively like going over that barrier and going over that wall of like self-trust is one of the hardest things you can do. Mm. And I have hit that wall many a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, it's a pain in the butt, but it is a good thing that you got to do. You just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a process. Like anything. Um, confidence comes from just t- taking the action that you're terrified to take, realizing that, Oh, Hey, I survived it. And then kind of doing it again. And eventually it's, it's like natural or it's certainly so much easier than it was than the first time you did it yeah i would i i find that so true i definitely find that so true that so few people actually really understand that it takes time yeah yeah and i think what you know they they tell themselves like i wish i had the confidence but they don't need the confidence they just need the courage they just need the few seconds of courage to like just go make that post or just go say that thing and then when you realize like oh actually the consequences of doing that were positive rather than negative that's what will will actually cultivate the confidence yeah I could actually believe that I could actually believe that and just a quick heads up to anyone that's doing this change like this will be met with a little bit 
of uh, resistance. <laughs> but the yeah. best thing you can do is just those people are not meant for you. That's the best way I always look at it. Is like someone's not meant to be on your friends list. Bid them, fed, uh, bid them a goodbye, and I guarantee you, you will mm. find someone actually better suited stepping in. Hundred percent. Yeah. The universe and that's, a vacuum. Yeah, and that's why you know a lot of people they they don't want to like say that say those things because they are they're scared of being judged. Like they don't want to like risk ruffling feathers and in reality like you can you can have that sort of fear um it's a valid fear but it's in doing those things and saying those things that you that you have that polarizing effect which is actually what is is so valuable for a brand because you want to be turning people off you want to be repelling the wrong people because in doing so you're going to be like really like forcefully attracting the right ones and those are the people to put your attention towards I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. That is definitely one of the things that very few people actually even think about in um, when it comes to how they write their advertising specifically. Now, kind of jumping off of that point, because we've spoken about how, like, you know, getting your website and stuff, but there is an element with your content that needs to go up that actually marries in with everything that you do. So I'm curious, what is it that you do differently when you're consulting clients on how they should be positioning their content out there? Because this is, again, something that very, very many people have struggled with over time is, what the hell do I say? What do I do differently? Yeah. Because I've Compared noticed your to... other people, because I've read your content okay. for a while now, mm-hmm. and your content always gets engagement versus, say, other people, like, like, they say they get engagement. You look at that post, they've got very little engagement. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, and, yeah, like... It's interesting, especially because I say like, don't go off politics. So if you're if you're posting content and it's not necessarily being engaged with, it doesn't mean that people aren't reading. It doesn't mean that people aren't interested in what you have to say. Um, you know, lurkers can be extremely great clients as well. So it's not the only sign that you know content is working. Um, I think for me, it, it does certainly go back to what I was saying about. Uh, you know, the self-trust and confidence thing. I, I have my own issues with that. Um, I, I didn't really want to, to show up and say the things that I, I really wanted to say because it, it was scary. But there comes a point where you get sick of your own bullshit mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to start saying the things. And um, you don't have to say everything all at once. You, you can just sort of dip your toe. Um, but when there is something that needs to be said, be the person to say it when there is something that you're questioning like whether i should say this or not chances are yes you should say it um and that's like that's where i think like content gets engagement because you are addressing something that other people are not saying either they don't want to say it or they don't have the courage to say it whatever it is like if you are the person to say that thing that other people are thinking but not saying that's why people are going to be interested because they're like, Oh yes, finally, someone has said this. And I agree. I just didn't want to be the person to say it, but I'm so thankful that you said it. Yeah. I've had that with a few people as well, but that is so good. So that's a really good way of actually repositioning the whole idea of like, what if what I say doesn't go over well or whatever it's, 
Yeah. I mean, this really does come back down to research when I think about it. It really comes down to knowing what your audience wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And there is, well, it can go very, very wrong, but because you could just pander <laughs> to a crowd. But the way I'd say it is rather than pandering to a crowd, find where the intersection between I'm slightly pandering to them, but also it's very, very in line and congruent with who I am. Exactly. Yeah. I would 100% agree with that. Like if it's what someone wants to hear, but you have no real interest in saying it, like that, that's not going to be the thing that you should be saying. Um, and this is really where I think stories are so powerful as well, because I see, you know, your personal stories as, as your marketing assets. Um, you, the stories that you have, the experiences that you have, no one else has those things. And we, we risk, you know, there being an echo chamber especially online and with you know the coaching industry is like everyone is saying the same kind of of things as as everyone else and I think stories are the way to to break through that noise because when you have um, a perspective that you can explain to someone with context um, that's different even if you're sort of making a similar point to something that someone else is making the fact that you are, are doing it through the lens of your own unique story is so powerful and that's how you can really draw someone into into your world yeah yeah I, I couldn't agree more do you have any formulas that you use particularly or you rely on for storytelling yeah because there are a few formulas um, that I'm aware of but I'm curious too if you do Yeah, there are formulas. I have a love-hate relationship with formulas um, because I totally understand how helpful formulas can be for people and uh, scripts and templates and all of that kind of stuff. And I've been approached so many times by people saying like, you know, could you could you create some kind of course or could you create some templates? And I'm just like, I could not think of anything. Okay, I could think of worse things, but that is just so not where my heart lies when it comes to my work. And like truthfully, some of that is because I have no idea where I would start with with putting together templates. I I have frameworks, I would say, which is kind of like a loose structure or a loose approach that you could take to putting some kind of post together or email together. Um, But formulas, um, I don't know, I think that's taking it a bit too far. I think it takes the your, your own uh, like writing intuition out of the process. And I write very much from a place of just like, you know, I, I'm just gonna write and, and see what comes out rather than, you know, I've got to, I've got to fit into this, these boxes. Um, but I would say if there was some kind of like just overall storytelling structure, um, like obviously you've got to have a good start um, so you've got to have that hook that um, is intriguing enough to get people to want to read whatever it is you're talking about. Um, then the, the story. So like g- gives tell, tell me some kind of interesting story that relates to the point that you're going to make. Um, then segue into um, how that story relates to what the ultimate takeaway of this piece is. Um, and then if you're selling something within that, actually um, make some kind of offer uh, and then sign off. So just just wrap it up neatly. That would be like a really loose overall um, structure that you could apply. Yeah to, yeah. to any kind of thing you're writing. 
see, I'm glad you used the word structure there because like one of the things that I love and have done for years, it's like, I had this thing in like 2016, which was structure has integrity. So I kind of built my mm. entire, like, as you know, I don't very suddenly don't like using formulas, but I like using templates and structures. Mm-hmm. Designing the one that I have for my sales that it actually all came from knowing that structure has integrity. So I'm glad that you've actually done the exact same thing here and given us a very easy structure to work with. Um, they can very easily and very quickly put together a story and some social media, uh, you know, posts mm-hmm. for and some emails for because you're just essentially just starting off with a good headline, telling a story, relaying it back to your big payoff, and then kind of bridging that gap all the way through with a strong call to action. What I would actually, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, based off of that, was what's your take on uh, calls to action? Because I found a lot of people see they still seemingly have this problem of asking for the sale. So how do you get around that when you're teaching, mentoring, or doing it yourself? Yeah, this is I love this question because I. I am not a people pleaser, right? <laughs> so just in my natural life, I've never really fallen um, on that side of, of the spectrum of like being a people pleaser. And I've just seen a pattern in, in, in people pleasers that they, because they're focused on, you know, making sure the other person is happy, they put themselves last. And so that means not typically, they struggle to ask for what they want so um, I, I've never really um, had that same kind of struggle. Like I find it quite easy to set boundaries and to just ask for what I want and to be able to like detach myself from the outcome. If like I don't get what I want, I don't really make it mean anything. I just sort of see if there's a lesson in there for me or whatever. Um, and, and so it's been really interesting to work with people who maybe yeah, do have that struggle. And that's not to say like, it's super comfortable for me to always um, ask for for what I want, whether like asking for the sale or, um, you know, asking for someone to pay me X amount of money, whatever it might be. Um, and I, like, I think it is, it is one of those processes again of just, um, if that's something that feels uncomfy, what what could you ask for that would feel comfy? Like what is a, a a way that you could approach a call to action that is like more subtle, more gentle that you can cope with and then like work from there. So it doesn't mean you have to, you know, put some just hardcore sales post together that makes you feel like, oh my God, what am I doing? But it's just like, hey, this is how I help people. Um, if you want me to help you, like this is how... This is how we can work together. It's just really gentle, um, really approachable. And when you realize that actually people will, will react positively to that, it gives you the confidence to ask for what you want again and again and again. I literally just had this this morning with a client. I woke up to a voice note from, from one of my mentoring clients who said, like, you have given me the confidence to ask for what I want. And she's just um, sold her biggest um, day rate package to date and I was just like that's amazing like some so quickly that this shift happened in her attitude as well of realizing actually hey I can ask for what I want like I can actually do that and then just going just going and asking and hey someone said yes oh cool I'm 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 gonna ask for what I want again yeah it's really really powerful and um 
and I, I'm glad you've never actually had to go around the people pleasing side because I can tell you it sucks. Yeah. It genuinely sucks. <laughs> I come from that world, so I know. <laughs> yeah. It is not fun in the slightest. But getting around that, and if you are someone that does have that tendency of people pleasing and you can't step out of your own way, um, if you don't mind, one of the things that I did find that really works is just by writing down or saying to yourself in the mirror, what do I want? And secondly, following up with, here's what to do next. So you essentially almost turn it into a methodical step-by-step of what happens next. So your brain's emotional side doesn't overtake and fill you mm. with anxiety. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Fun little crazy thing. Like people are, we are such weird creatures overall. Uh, one of my favorite questions oh, to yeah. ask. Yeah. So one of my favorite questions to ask on the show um, is something I think that you'd be, actually, I, I would love your opinion on this really more than anything. Um, okay. So when life has kicked you in the proverbial nuts and you're down on the floor and it feels like you can't find a way out, how did you and how do you get out of that headspace and what do you do to protect yourself so you never go back there too deeply? If at all. What a good question. Um... I feel like I would need to give context here. Yeah. We'll go there. Um, so the, like the, the shittest, the shittest point of my life um, was a totally unexpected tragedy. Um, so I lost four members of my family in the MH17 plane crash. Oh um, Which as you can imagine was uh like extremely intense and awful in so many ways. Um, and I, I do remember thinking like, you know, nothing is going to be the same again after going through this, like nothing is going to be the same again. And it's one of those situations where you're like, will I ever smile again? Will I ever laugh again? Um, and if I do laugh, does that make me a terrible person? It was that, those, that kind of place that I was in and like paired with, with just dealing with the emotions of that, I had to go through, you know, this, this whole thing just was all over the news for weeks. Uh, so anytime I would turn on the TV, like, oh, there, there's my uncle's face, you know? Um, it was it was just, yeah, n- not something you ever expect to have to go through. So, so that was my, that was my low point. And um, I think everyone's answers to, to this question, I'm sure will be wildly different. But for me, it was um, allowing myself the time to just be in that place. Um, I'm not someone who really pressures myself to do things faster, uh, to get results quicker. Like I'm quite happy going at my own pace and um, letting things take as long as they need to take. And I think that's especially true with any kind of, uh, you know, recovery, whatever you're recovering from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so giving myself the the time to process, to grieve, to really understand what the hell just happened and how I want to navigate life after that, because obviously, you know, your perspective shifts um, when going through something like that. And you, you, you look, you just look at things differently and you, um, you place greater importance on different things sometimes. 
Um, and this was actually a big reason why I started my business. Um, so yeah, just allowing yourself to be and um, not, not being afraid to, well, this, this is obviously, I'm only speaking from my own experience here, but yeah. like not being afraid to think about that time. So it's, you know, over, it's been over six years now since that happened. Um, but like every, every single year on, uh, like on the anniversary date, like I take the day completely off work and I go, um, I just go like do something for myself and I let myself think about them. I let myself remember. And, um, and I also, you know, I just, this is like a daily thing, but I remind myself constantly, like how grateful I am to be, to be where I am, to have this life, uh, to be alive. And um, I think it's, yeah, tr like allowing yourself to think about it is, is a good thing, I think, rather than trying to, um, it's not like I tried to stop myself from ever, ever revisiting those feelings or going back to that place. Um, I just, I just allow myself to, to feel things. Just brilliant. A lot of people don't do that. They kind of just bottle up. And uh, I always find that really, really strange with people yeah. when, they, when they bottle up their sadness. I'm like, guys, the best thing you can do is get it out. I mean, um, one of the things that really helped me was I spoke mm -hmm. to a therapist the day after, like the day after I buried my dad, uh, I literally called the therapist and went over to see them. It was just a case of like, mm -hmm. I know, I yeah. know this is going to suck. Mark. I knew it was going to suck. And um, yeah. it's going to sound really strange, but like uh, it's kind of like a jumping off point to do to dealing with death for anyone that is because right now, oh dear lord, that like people I know a lot of people have lost family members, so um, and close relations and stuff mm -hmm. like that. If you guys are dealing with that, one of the like, so I'm grateful that that the, the Islamic method of burying a parent is what it is because it gives you so much closure, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. But if you're dealing with that sadness right now, what I would say is, again, go speak to someone about it and don't bottle it up. And I love the fact that you take a day off just to remember them because it's it's such a beautiful mm. sign of respect for someone. Um, and it's a significance. Mm. I'm glad that, and thank you for sharing that story, by the way. I, I know that couldn't have been easy. So I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Um, and that, that actually leads me. Well, thanks for asking such a good question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I will say is invariably what you do to keep yourself grateful is quite powerful. I like the fact that you do that daily and it's just a constant reminder because far too often, mm -hmm. I think as people, we kind of do the thing where we think we're unbreakable, unbeatable and going to live forever. Um, and we don't really fully give thanks for the moments that we have. Crazy, right? Um, mm, I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's very important to, to do that. Couldn't agree more. So one of the uh, questions that I did have, like one of my favorite questions in this is essentially um, what have been some of the biggest, uh, break, not biggest breakthrough, sorry, what books have impacted you in the biggest way? Like whether it's uh, books that are fiction, books that are nonfiction or even movies, what have impacted the way you think and you'd recommend to almost anyone listening? Oh, oh I know. You I, know threw what? I, the, I, I threw you under the spot. I answer for this because I would have gone through... <laughs> this is why I don't... through my bookcase. This um, is why I don't let people do preparation because it's... I want to know... I want to know off the top of your head really more than anything. 
because usually yeah. those are most well open. that's great for, for yeah that's great for people who can remember stuff um <laughs> i i find like you know i just i forget everything uh, everything that's important <laughs> i forget so um the the book that always comes to mind first when someone asks this question is the war of art by stephen pressfield great book um i have I've had a, a, a relationship with procrastination and um, I thought that that book was was really powerful in um, helping helping understand like resistance why we have resistance and um, you know to help help move, move you through resistance um, it's it's probably one of the only books that I've read more than once um, so that would be that would that, that's always the first one that comes to my mind. Um, and I'm sure there are so many others. Um, I love reading um, fiction. I think it's, it's really important as well. Like um, when you're in the world of business, it, you can easily get sucked into like reading business books and taking all the courses and, and all of that, which is great, but balance it, balance it out with, um, with some fiction and keep Agreed. that imagination ticking over. So yeah, I love reading fiction. I don't think there's any particular book that like stands out um but i just it's very much a pleasure of mine to to read fiction and autobiographies as well uh, do you have any recommendations for any fiction or autobiographies i'm in the middle of michelle obama's um autobiography at the moment which is which is so interesting um she's just she's an incredible woman um so I would, I would highly recommend that. Um, what else? The, the only, I don't, I'm not really like into fantasy, but the, one of the fiction books that I, I have loved um, is, is kind of fantastical, which is uh, The Night Circus. Mm. Okay. Um, What's it about? By Erin Morgan, Morgenstern, something like that. Um, which is just like she writes so poetically and um, just transports you to this um, whole other world. It's it's really good form of escapism. So if you're into that kind of thing, would highly recommend the Night Circus. Cool recommendations. I'm actually ordering a lot of these on Amazon right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love. But like seriously, one of the things I get people to do is like, look, if you want to study a good copy, watch good TV, read good books listen to good or like listen to good audio and good music and just find stuff yeah. that's good and emotive and mark down why it makes you feel that way yeah like yeah. for the love of goodness the scene in rocky five which is arguably the worst rocky of all time there's one scene that makes me cry all the time it's when rocky's beat up and he's having an image and a flashback to him and his trainer and his trainer says get up you son of a bitch because mickey loves you every time tears every time no idea why <laughs> Lord knows why I watched that scene cry. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Damn. There's, there's a TV show that I love called this is us. Oh, I love this is us. First two and seasons. I, amazing. Uh, yeah. I don't think I can get through an episode without crying. Like there's just always something that makes me cry and it's so character driven. Um, you get so invested um, in these characters and in their journeys. And so it's just, yeah, it's just natural to um, for that to evoke emotion, and I th it's just such a good uh, you know lesson to to translate into business is how important 
um, stories are, whether that character is you, whether the character is, you know, the, the reader, um, the, bringing, bringing the stories, bringing the emotion into it is, is powerful. And I always say you have to move someone emotionally before you can move, move them physically. So if you want them to take some kind of action, like click, buy, then um, you have to create the emotional movement first. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. Sorry, it just makes me happy that actually, I don't know why I'm apologizing. Yay, thank you. You're actually saying the exact <laughs> same thing that I do, which is brilliant. Yeah, we've agreed on a lot of stuff. <laughs> We do agree on a lot of stuff. That's why I'm like, yay. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Why do I apologize? Because I guess usually when I have other copyrights on, we do agree on stuff, but there is some contrarian shit that goes on. Mm. It's like, mm. but again, that's all because <laughs> we're friends and we all do stuff, which I actually do like now that I've gone older is I'm actually friends with a lot of people that at one point I would have gladly punched in the face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. to you. Yeah. Oh, they're lovely people. I mean, once you get around it and be like, oh, you've done some spiritual growth as well. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. God, business, the biggest personal development journey of my life. Oh, my God. But to be fair, like, I don't share this often, this story often. I don't think I will fully in this episode. But uh, yeah, business is actually the reason I'm still alive. Mm. Um, like the whole reason I tried to stop killing myself was because I started the business and because I wanted to prove my ex-girlfriend wrong. Like, oh, yeah, no. negative, uh, negative motivation definitely works on me. It's like, this person said that you're a shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> then I'll just go do the yeah, thing. I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely in my, uh, in my genetic makeup of, I'll show you. Of course, in my head, it's slightly more comical because, well, in my head, I'm a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. um <laughs> which is always joyful but anyway i do want to say to everybody that's been checking out that's been on the show all this uh, i hope you guys have picked up some absolutely golden nuggets there's been some brilliant stuff shared uh i have taken about a page of notes because why the fuck oh. not because i always love to find out how i can be a better person and better writer it feels good <laughs> um but as always go check out is it captivationhouse.com Indeed. Yeah, go check out. Oh, yeah, go check out captivationhouse.com. Stalk in a good way the very lovely Susie Gray. Uh, be nice to her because if you're mean, I'll kick your ass. It's always mm -hmm. the usual thing that we'll do. She's awesome though. She can handle her own. She'll probably kick your ass as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're mean to me, I'll kick your ass. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, she'll just verbally kick your ass. That's how we do things. Oh, I'll just ignore you. I'll just ignore you. Yeah, just the, the, I will give you the silent treatment. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, so many random things that come off of that. But please go check, rate, review, subscribe. And as always, have an amazing weekend. And if you guys want to check out any previous episodes we have of Adela Marcy Unplugged, head on over to adelamarcy.com. Click on the, uh, the blog and podcast, or the blogcast, as I'm now going to call it. Um, and you can essentially go check out previous episodes that we have. All right, guys, take care and have an amazing weekend.